1: And welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host, Gerard Gibbard, along with Rhino in the Element Wealth Studios, guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music kicking off a brand new week, and it is election week. Rhino, voters will head to the polls tomorrow. Those who have not voted absentee/slash early, they will cast their ballot. In the 2022 midterm elections. How are you doing today? Oh, not too bad. Wow, what a sports weekend it was, huh? Kind Lots of wild of stuff. and wacky. Yeah. This is the best time of year for sports with uh, the World Series, football, college and professional. And the World Cup right around the corner. Well, that's true. I know you being a big soccer fan, so that's all coming up. Basketball's about to get cranked up. It's crazy. A lot of overlap. How about old Dusty Baker, coach of the Houston Astros, finally gets the series? That's pretty neat, I think. It was a decent series, uh, depending on who you were for. (laughs) Didn't really have a dog in that hunt. Yeah, yeah. me either. But, you know, from an entertainment perspective, I thought it was pretty decent. So that is in the books. Old Dusty Baker takes it down. We had... uh, couple of very entertaining overtime games in SEC play. And that was sort of fascinating to watch. One of those up in Starkville. The Bulldogs emerged victorious over the Auburn Tigers with their new temporary, I guess, head coach, Cadillac Williams. I thought he did a good job. I'd hire him if I were them, honestly. I thought um, he was the man. But the Bulldogs came out on top. Shouldn't have been that close, it doesn't seem like. When you watch the first half, so this is over. But,
2: yeah, it seemed like uh, fate was on their side after the accidental onside kick. Yeah, that was weird, wasn't it? Supposed to be a squib kick to keep it from being easily <laughs> returnable, and it just was too low.
1: Bounced off an Auburn player. That was weird. That the illegal snap. Was that in that game? No, that was in the... Or was that in the... Yeah, it was in that game, yeah, that was in it? It. yeah. I was watching both of them simultaneously as we had Alabama down in Tigerland at LSU. That, too, of course, went to overtime. A thriller, as they say. The Tigers win. And then absolutely pour out onto the field. That was a sea of humanity on that football field when it was over. And then, let's see, what is uh, State at home against Georgia, right, this coming weekend? Ole Miss will entertain Alabama, coming off the sting of a defeat down in Baton Rouge. I thought State looked uh, certainly good in the first half. Not sure what happened in the second half. Georgia, however, looks like the bona fide, legitimate best team in the country. In my opinion. They look pretty strong against Tennessee. That was interesting. I don't know if you caught the interview with head coach Mark Rick on field there. As he was headed to the locker room. They always stop him, of course. And, Mark Rick. Oh, uh, pardon me. At um, Georgia. Kirby Smart, Kirby Smart, <laughs> I got I was about the same. Mark has been out for a minute. Uh, right, 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 right. I'm sorry, my bad. Kirby Smart, um, and anyhow, they they caught him, and he he was bragging about how we did this without the portal. Did you see him talking about that? All right, okay, good for you, Kirby. I mean, I'm not sure why he had to bring that up. Why that makes a difference? There
2: are some coaches that are still hung up on doing it the quote unquote right way with recruiting, even though
1: come on, Kirby. Yeah. I don't know why he had to invoke that. It's almost like he was trying to call attention to himself, boast a bit. On the C Spire text line, they said when LSU scored the two point, it caused an earthquake. It was detected. On the Richter scale, I don't doubt that. You got a hundred something thousand people in a stadium that's been there a long time. Is it has a tendency to to, to oscillate a little bit. Well, no.
2: LSU actually tweeted out the the seismograph readings. They did from their
1: seismograph lab. Well, it's a hundred thousand people in a very compact space above ground there, and again, you got a you got a stadium that. I think with that many people going crazy, subject to a little movement, and that could, in fact, cause the ground to shift a bit. It was was a uh, well-executed two-point play, that's for sure. Put them in. That's how loud it was on C Spire text Line. Dan in Habsburg says, and the dead will rise from the dead to cast their vote. Coming up tomorrow. So, So here's a serious question. So let's suppose that I think by all accounts and even those who are in the Democrat camp are conceding that Republicans are going to seize control of the House, flip it, by how much, you know, it depends on which pundit you listen to, I guess, but uh, the latest I heard by someone who's very optimistic, I can't remember the name of the analyst, said 235 for Republicans. That would put the Democrats at 200, so that would be a 35-seat advantage, which would represent a 40-seat swing, because the current balance, the the uh, margin is five seats to the Democrats. So okay, and then you got the Senate, and at this point you'd have to say that's a toss-up, you know, I've seen most people believe Republicans will probably prevail to the tune of at least one, a one-seat advantage, could be as many as four, just depending on the outcome of some of these critical races. But I guess my question is, t- in terms of uh, uh, the issue of voter fraud, just to, to, in response to the to the question about the dead coming out to vote, the voter fraud. Well, how does that happen if there's extensive voter fraud? Because you'd think if you're going to engage in voter fraud, you'd make sure that outcome didn't occur. So how does it occur? Does that mean the fraud didn't happen? Or there were sufficient checks and balances and controls in place to prevent it? Because you've seen all kinds of reports... I would argue not from the most mainstream sources indicating all sorts of crazy stuff already going on. You got in Pennsylvania, right, some 600,000 early voters. I I'm not sure we'll know the outcome of Pennsylvania and Georgia tomorrow. I'm betting we won't tomorrow night. I think it's going to take a few days. And we'll get into that later on in the program because there's different laws in different states about Counting the votes, I think it's I think it's Georgia, if I'm not mistaken. Rhino, they don't even start counting absentee ballots till all ballots are cast. Isn't that right? Is that your understanding? Yeah, that's uh, that's the rule of law in a lot of states. Yeah, so that could take a while. That's a little bit more involved process. So, and that's what happened last time, as you recall, in Georgia, and then it it. And that's uh,
2: just to prevent any semblance of hinky business because That's right. if you have a pre-election day vote where you, you know what's happening before the polls close then it can be argued that gives you the information you need to stuff the ballot box.
1: Right. And don't forget in Georgia you've got to earn 50% plus of the vote to win outright. otherwise you go to a runoff and that would be December 6th. And there's a lot of strategists that believe that's what's going to happen in Georgia, because there is a libertarian candidate on the ballot that's likely to peel off sufficient votes to force a runoff. So let's see. I got it here. Pennsylvania, Wisconsin. Officials are not allowed to begin validating mail ballots until Election Day. Nineteen states provide a grace period to receive mail by- ballots as long as they were sent by election day. Wow! In
2: yeah, Ari- they gotta
1: be postmarked by election day. Yes, in Arizona, all ballots must be returned by seven p.m. on election day, but officials have twenty days to finalize their counts in Nevada. And these are, of course, critical, very contentious elections for Senate in. Nevada counties have four days to count late arriving mail ballots and give voters two more days to fix mail ballots that arrive in envelopes with errors or missing information. Gee whiz, a lot to do to get it all settled in the final counts. Coming up next, Scott Payton, State Director, Right on Crime. We're in the Element Well studios kicking off a brand new week. Stay with us. everyone to midday super talk mississippi gerard and rhino in the element well studios kicking off a brand new week joining us now scott payton state director right on crime scott how's it going this morning man
3: it is going great gerard it's a pleasure to be here
1: yes sir so uh, tell us a bit uh, before we get started here with the question scott exactly what your organization right on crime what's your mission what do you do
3: right on crime is a conservative organization that promotes conservative solutions uh, to, to fighting crime which which means reforming offenders protecting the public and, and making certain that victims are made whole gotcha and we do this through through advocacy through work of the legislature through um, through work throughout the states that, that we operate in whether it's um, direct interaction with Policymakers with different criminal justice actors um, to ensure that that states and, and local organizations are following evidence-based best practices when it comes to criminal justice policy.
1: so one thing we hear a lot about it's it's a fairly common talking point with respect to uh, Mississippi and incarceration is that uh, I believe our state has the highest per capita incarceration somewhere around 18,000 of all 50 states. Is, is that accurate?
3: Yeah, Yes, sir. It looks like it. as of November um, it, it may have been up to 19,000. Um, and, and, yes, it would be – there are other states like Louisiana, for example, uh, Oklahoma, several other states. We go back and forth uh, with the highest in, incarceration uh, per capita. Uh, so that, that would be correct. This is always
1: a statistic, i got to tell you, Scott, that, that intrigues me from the perspective of exactly how meaningful it is. And what I mean by that is, is that because we got a higher percentage of our population committing crime, and therefore we have more that are incarcerated, or rather is it a function of perhaps some of our statutes, some of our laws, where we're maybe overly zealous in incarcerating people that uh, for which there's really no need to do so so uh, tell us about that
3: yeah that, that's a that's a great question gerard and and one that that i, I know uh, all states have to look at at carefully um it's a combination um that there there are sometimes where where we're sending non individuals to prison uh much longer than they should should be going to prison um you know if you think about it that the, the the whole purpose of incarceration uh, is is deterrence, retribution, incapacitation, and rehabilitation. And, and when you look at those, uh, there has to be a consequence for those that are committing crimes. So if the police and the courts are sending these individuals over to DOC, um, there has to be a way to, to work through this. So I think that number, when you look at eighteen, nineteen thousand, um, 19,000, you certainly don't want to be the highest incarcerator, um, but it but it doesn't mean that that everything is in shambles. Um, it, it means that there, there's more work that needs to continue to be done, um, and, and we do that each session when we go back and, and take a good look at, at the laws that are on the books that that are relating to sentencing and the whole the whole. Purpose of of what Right on Crime has been doing with our Correctional Leadership Network, where we had um, Commissioner Burrow Kane on last week, uh, is to talk about that. Is it, what is he doing, and, and what does that number mean to him? And, and he's pretty blunt. You know, he said that violent people and, and criminals need to be off the street and they need to be in prison. Uh, and there goes the, the deterrence and the incapacitation and the retribution portion of corrections. And I think when we focus on what we do with them when they leave prison, we have about fifteen hundred every quarter, leave m d o c facilities and go back into our communities uh, we We intermingle with them every day, so what are we doing when they 're locked up? What are we doing with that nineteen thousand because ninety five percent of those are coming back home they're they 're going to be in our communities, and we want to make sure that that the crime rate I think is a good indication um, more so than than the number of people that are incarcerated. Um, And if you look at our numbers in in Mississippi, uh, we're right about or above average on on the crime rates. Uh, Nonviolent crime is is above average. Um, Violent crime is below The national average Um, so those those are good numbers um you know one crime is one crime too many for for the victims that are involved Uh, but when we're looking at it uh, as commissioner kane said it's not a lock and feed it's not warehousing Um, there's programming inside that hopefully when individuals leave mdoc and we know that they will at some point when they leave there they have the tools to, to be successful and and don't get caught up in the system again.
1: what What can you tell us, Scott, about any specific policies or legislation that you you'd like to see passed enacted in the state to address this issue?
3: Yeah, you know, right, Gerard, I think we need to, to look at uh, one, making sure uh, that we understand, kind of where this rise um, in violent crime is coming from, um, go back and, and, and look at our sentencing. Uh, but when it comes to legislation, I think expanding our diversion courts, uh, our reentry courts, um, those are, are or places that take these nonviolent offenders, uh, first-time offenders, and give them an option other than going to D.O.C. That is one way to 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 look at, at the use of incarceration. Uh, but this is a, a way where we would address the root causes uh, under direct supervision of our courts. Um, it saves money, but it also saves saves lives when it comes to to possibly um, satisfying that fourth purpose of. of, of our prison system, which would be rehabilitation or, or a transformation of someone, correcting the, those behaviors that are getting them in trouble in the first place.
1: When you discuss this, Scott, with uh, our lawmakers, what what kind of reaction do you get?
3: I, I think we get really good. Are we having getting some really good positive feedback from lawmakers when it comes to reentry in general? Um, and the diversion and specialty courts are, are definitely an area that lawmakers are, are interested in. Um, when we look at stats in in, in Louisiana, um, at Angola, where, where Commissioner Kane was instrumental in developing the programming inside of Angola and the reentry courts that are there that, that function out of Angola, we have a single-digit recidivism rate. Uh, now, granted, it's, it's a much smaller population. They're, they're hand-picked. Um, but when we get into the single digits we're, we're we're talking about you know that that's unheard of when it comes to recidivism, where recidivism normally is around thirty to forty percent um, that's that's great there's fewer people committing crimes there's fewer victims um, and it's fewer people going back into the system that's where our failure happens is is when individuals go through m d o c uh and come out and then within a year or two are are back in the same situation they are It's tying up our law enforcement. That need our law enforcement needs to focus on, on these violent offenses and arresting these individuals, clearing uh, you know the, the, the violent crime rates, um, arresting those that need to be arrested and, and held to account, and these kind of programs like the reentry courts um, and just reentry in general will help law enforcement where they're not dealing with the, these low level nonviolent uh, offenders, uh, and they can focus on the violent crime which is you know plaguing our country
1: what is Commissioner Kane? what's his reaction
3: uh, as far as reentry courts
1: right or um, just yes. just reforming the system to, to try to focus I guess more on on those who are committing violent crimes
3: he, he is very committed to to creating a, a an environment in within MDOC where where individuals where they're addressing the, the deviant behaviors as he says it that, that that got them into prison in the first place. and he's doing this through the use of mentoring, uh, taking those individuals that are that are incarcerated that are going to be there for for life or, or for very long sentences, and using them to help one form those individuals uh, with with an education, um, technical training, but also the the heart skills that that they need to to learn is like using that individual in the, as an example. Uh, who's going to spend the rest of his life, possibly die there in at MDOC, to show these young men and women that are incarcerated that that you must take a different path, that you must change the change your behaviors and and do things a little bit differently.
1: Gotcha. We got uh, about thirty seconds left, Scott. Do you expect to have some success in this coming legislative session? I assume you're going to be meeting quite a bit and discussing this issue with legislators. It's an election year, of course, as you know. Uh, Who's pulling on the the other side against this? Is it it law enforcement that have concerns?
3: I I think, Gerard, when it comes to sound criminal justice policies, when we're looking at reentry, the fear sometimes, or or if there is any uh, objection, it it may come from um, prosecutors and law enforcement. And it may be just a simple misunderstanding of what, Um, what we're looking to do with reentry. We're talking about individuals that are already out. Uh, We're not talking about letting people uh, or opening the doors to the prisons and letting people out. Uh, We're talking about those that have served the sentences that our legislature has assigned to those particular crimes and and are doing what the judges and the courts have asked them to do.
1: Got you. Scott, appreciate you coming on. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Gerard. Scott Payton, State Director, Right on Crime, has been our guest. We're in the Element Well Studios. Middays will come right by.
4: The no mammoth
3: got a brand new bag.
0: You're listening to Middays with Gerard. Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk, Mississippi.
1: to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. We thank you so much for joining us. So, it's tomorrow. The midterms and of course the candidates are making their final appeals to the voters. And they got lots of help coming in as well. Joe Biden, Barack Obama, rock star of the Democrat Party. Donald Trump, of course, as well. Out and about. But the one that really aggravated me the most, Rhino, was Biden at a rally in upstate New York for Governor Kathy Hochul. Was at uh, a small college there, a liberal arts school, the name escapes me right now. But I watched it, and I guess I shouldn't be surprised, but maybe I just expect more out of the Commander in Chief. And what I mean by that is, I expect the truth and integrity and honesty. Is that too much to ask? Should we not, as Americans, expect that? And I don't care what party it is. And I'm not giving a pass to any candidate or any party here. It's just fundamental. Just tell the truth. But his remarks were absolutely laden with untruths. He said at one point that gas, when he took office, was five bucks a gallon. You saw that? Said the economy was in ruins. He, of course, took credit for Social Security increases scheduled to go into effect next year, a policy that was enacted into law, a provision, in 1972. And he bragged about the amount of time, you saw this one, he spent with Chinese President Xi Jinping. I spent more time with him than anybody. Well, that's not true either. There was at one point he even said he was a professor. (laughs) Did you see that? Oh, yeah. He wasn't a professor. Even the Washington Post, the Washington Post, the the article by their fact-checker group, the title of the article a bottomless Pinocchio, of course, you know they use Pinocchios, what, one to five, I guess, I think. Is Something it. like that. Yeah, yeah. some, some measure, measurement, some metric to measure the extent to which statements made by various politicians were not factual. <laughs> they called his gaffes a bottomless Pinocchio, bottomless He's a, the, the first statement in the article, President Biden is a self-described gaffe machine. That's no excuse, of course, they go on to say, for a president making false or misleading statements. Folks, I spent a lot of time, more time with Xi Jinping than any other head of state. I've traveled 17,000 miles with him. Well, they gave him a three Pinocchios on that the first time he said it, but he repeated it. Wasn't even close. And there were numerous other statements that, I mean, the $5 gas was won, the economy was in ruin, and then once again, he started taking credit and doing victory laps over jobs created. And I say again, well, you didn't create any new incremental jobs relative to where we were pre-pandemic, which should be the metric That should be the basis for comparison. Not at the time when Democrats, primarily across this country, shut down the economy. They shut the economy down, forcing many employers to let people go. And then we reopen the economy, they go back to work, and he takes credit for it. You didn't do squat. And, of course, he's stumping for Kathy Hochul, the governor, the Democrat, who has got stiff opposition from Representative Lee Zeldin. And now the, most polls, the Trafalgar poll and the Rasmussen poll, the ones that I put more credibility in, show Zeldin up a point or two, which is good. And, of course, he calls attention to the fact that Zeldin opposed His agenda. And we've just got, there's nothing noble. I just want to say this there's nothing noble or virtuous, and one should not brag about spending other people's money, because that's really all you're doing here. When you're bragging about the bipartisan infrastructure bill and the CHIPS Act and the $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan, there's nothing to brag about. Bragging might be warranted if you, let's say, cut the deficit or the debt. And I don't mean cut the deficit from the anomaly that occurred during the pandemic, because that is what he's bragging about. Hey, I spent $1.9 trillion last year. I didn't spend that this year. Look what I did. I cut the deficit. Well, there's, there's nothing virtuous, and there's no accomplishment there. That's completely misleading. In the, in the crowd, of course, as i watched it live, they're just, yeah, <laughs> like train seals clapping. And then, of course, this notion that the Trump tax cuts, $2 trillion, that's what caused the deficit and the debt, all went to Trump's rich buddies, and that's just not true. And that's been debunked multiple times. It's just math. But he says it, and it is a favorite talking point of the left, and that's not th- true. And, of course, you've got the Inflation Reduction Act and implementing price controls. But once again, there's nothing to brag about there. Hey, look, I brought down the price of this for you because, by law, I forced the private company to charge less. There's nothing to that, and then of course blasting the fossil fuels industry as he has record profits in the 40 corporations that, or excuse me, 50 corporations that pay no income tax, and now we learn that with this 15 percent minimum tax, only 14 are going to be ensnared by that, and it's a whopping 40 billion dollars of of profit, and. you know, to you and me as individuals or many others, that's a significant amount of money, but unfortunately in the scheme of things, when you've got a $5 trillion budget, when you look at the the 3 or $4 billion of tax revenue that'll raise, that ain't jack squat when you're running $1.2 trillion deficit. There's nothing to brag about there. And of course you're not taking into consideration the other unintended consequences. And then with a swipe of a pen for giving student loans. You know, when you're, when you're in business, I mean, I just look at that as a contrast, and you're trying to make ends meet, or your household, and you're, and you're trying to, to manage your affairs, your financial affairs, because you, you don't have a printing press of money. You can't go into unlimited mountains of debt. Well, if you're able to overcome that, I'd say that's something to maybe toot your horn about, certainly in business, which is very difficult, but in government, there's nothing hard about that. You just sign legislation. You don't have to worry about where the money's coming from. Just print more. Borrow more. That's what we do. But he's... Totally focused on that and, and bragging about it and calling attention to the fact that Lee Zeldin didn't vote for all the spending spree. But yet, he brags, does the president, about the deficit, the deficit he caused. So if he'd have kept the spending level with the prior year, we'd have the same deficit. It's just crazy how they can go around saying this sort of stuff. And I guess get away with it, but even the Washington Post called them out for it, which I think is good, and I think it hopefully exposes the untruths and gets folks' attention that this is just not the way to run the country. When we come back, get a little bit into, okay, what should the Republicans do if they have more power, newfound power? in the congress what should they do we'll talk about that when we when we return in the element well studios on midday stay with us
0: You're what your life can truly be, shine it star for you to see. What your life can truly be, shine it star for you to see, what your life can truly be. Mississippi. You're listening to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk, Mississippi.
1: With you in the Element Wealth Studios, Super Talk, Mississippi. Go to myelementwealth.com or call 601 957 6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. Election coverage. On Supertalk Mississippi, get started at 6 p.m. tomorrow. You'll get the latest election results here on Supertalk Mississippi as the polls close across Mississippi and the nation. Plus, Supertalk Mississippi News will bring you coverage of Mississippi's election results. It's one of the most important midterm elections ever, and we'll have you covered. All right, so Gary in the Berg says that we should focus on fatherless homes. That leads to more crime and a lot of other problems. No politician wants to talk about this, and maybe this organization will. Maybe they can promote two-parent families to prevent crime before it happens. 82% of wedlock birth rate in Jackson and other cities is a disaster. Well, first, I agree with you, Gary, that the dissolution of the traditional family it is a root cause of many of the nation's issues—crime, poverty. Etc. I, I agree. The question is, what do you do about it? And I think you have to tread lightly. I think you have to be careful on how to address that. Honestly, it it has just become, I guess, kind of culturally accepted um, to the point where, in many circles, a teenager getting pregnant is lauded, is praised. used to be something rather shameful, but not anymore. I mean, what it'll get you is a shower, honestly, and a whole bunch of congratulations. And the prospects of the child being reared to develop into a productive adult is just lower. That's just statistical fact. No question that's a that's an issue, and it uh, needs to be addressed. I, I'm not sure if that's something that government should address or not, honestly. It, it gets a little sticky. I'm, I'm afraid that if it's not handled properly, it might exacerbate it, might make it worse. But it certainly is a conversation that needs to occur would agree with that yeah Ray and Gluckstadt reminds I did see it I'm sure everybody has by now that Donald Trump did refer in one of his rallies there to uh, Ron DeSantis a prospective candidate for president in 2024 to sanctimonious but what is is the pejorative, I guess you could call it. Did he use?
2: Swinging a miss, strike one. <laughs> that, that wasn't his best nickname. What would be? I'm just oh, out of oh, all the nicknames all this, okay. he's come up with, that yeah. one's a bit of a stinker.
1: Well, let's 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 hearken back to 2016, right? Lion Ted, Little Marco, Low Energy Jeb. That that may be my favorite. I don't remember. Quid pro Joe might be my favorite. (laughs) Yeah, that was a good one, too. Uh, That's just the way he operates. But does that suggest he's all in for president in 24? Well, I mean, the
2: scuttlebutt was that he was planning to announce sometime in the next week or two that's
1: what i heard by november 30th that's right. kind of the the buzz right circulating at this point wait till after the midterms and then jump in i'm not sure if that's the case or not but that certainly is you know back to what happens the republicans i think it's pretty much guaranteed they're going to take the house i'd say the senate i feel good about Fifty one forty nine. Feel better today than I did a month ago. Now some are saying as high as 54-46. Could be. I mean it just depends. I mean the, the, the races in play, high profile, Georgia, which would be a flip. Pennsylvania, which would be to stay level, talking about the Republican wins. Arizona, a flip. Nevada, a flip. The other one is uh, New Hampshire, which is coming on strong, and the New Hampshire Republican candidates being outraised significantly by the Democrat incumbent. But that's now in play. I mean, it has been, but the gap continues to shrink. And then you got these governor's races. New York, that just would be a bombshell, would it not? I'd love to see Lee Zeldin. And, And the big issue in New York, crime. And Kathy Hochul is just defiant about it. No, it's actually better. But nobody thinks that. (laughs) Once again, they just won't be honest. That's why you can't fix any problems. Time for a break. Top of the hour. Super Talk News. Fox News. Middays. Coming right back in the Element Well Studios.
0: Welcome to the show that challenges you to think deeply. To think deeply and look beyond political posturing. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi.
1: Everyone, hour two, Super Talk Mississippi middays. Super Talk Outdoors coming up at the top of the hour with Ricky Matthews. One thing I've noticed about it reminded me of the discussion that Ricky and I had last week concerning Twitter and Elon Musk's acquisition of the company. All these people that say they're getting off the platform, these celebrities, I don't know who the hell half of them are. Who are all these people? I mean, a few of them I know. He deplatformed Kathy Griffin because she was impersonating him. Right? And then she got on her dead mother's account. Okay. Didn't know that. Yeah. So he's trying to clean that up. By the way, he just weighed in with a tweet. Yeah, a little over an hour ago. Yeah. An hour or so ago, to independent-minded voters, Musk's tweet reads, Shared power curbs the worst excesses of both parties. Therefore, I recommend voting for a, a Republican Congress, given that the presidency is Democratic. Little gridlock. I think the market is anticipating that. It's up. People are losing their. Oh, I know. Because the owner of Twitter weighs in uh, on his support for Republicans, and they're going nuts over it. Get over it after we had, since the inception of the platform, a very pro Democrat slant to all the content and all the people that work there. He let a whole bunch of them go last week, as you know. It is reported that today he's calling a few back. He said they were mistakenly terminated. Also this morning, Meta, the parent company of Facebook, expects to lay off thousands, massive layoffs. Amazon, Google, and Microsoft have all said that they're cloud business, which is really disturbing to me, having been in that industry, but they said the cloud business is a little sluggish, and they are dramatically reducing uh, recruitment for new employees and intend to shed some employees as well. So I think all of this paints a picture of an economy that is about to pull back rather significantly. Because those kinds of sales, those kinds of contracts, they're a pretty good harbinger, pretty good barometer as well of what's happening in the private sector, because most of their clients, large enterprises, and they're pulling back. And so I think this is because they anticipate demand to decline. Interest rates rising, demand declining as a result, inflation continues out of control, and the Fed keeps raising rates, and it's not having an impact. And so the expectation is they're going to continue to raise rates till they see some reduction in inflation, and when that happens, that will cause for certain a pullback on demand. Anyhow, you know, one thing that's interesting is watching the Democrats promote their message. And, and to a great extent, the Republicans as well. And the message is If you vote for them, it's bad. That's pretty much the the theme from both sides. You're not hearing a whole lot about addressing, so if all the polls reflect that top problem, top priority, across the board, Democrats and Republicans, inflation, cost of living, price of gas, etc. But you've not heard anything from either side on how they intend to address it. Now, the Democrats' plan is we're just going to force companies to charge less, right? The windfall profits tax on the oil and gas industry, that'll decrease the price of gas. Force the pharmaceutical industry to charge less. Give you credits to go buy electric hot water heaters and the like. But none of that really is addressing the fundamental economic problem of inflation. It, it is not consistent with the classic, widely accepted definition of inflation. None of that. I mean, just forcing doesn't. What What if the oil and gas industry just said, hey, we're done. We don't want to do this anymore. You guys told us you're going to shut us down. In fact, you heard him say this weekend, it's one of the one of the so-called gaffes, he said, I've shut down all drilling. We're not drilling anymore, which is not true, but that's what he wants to do. He said that because there were some hecklers. You saw that rhino in the crowd that were mad because he's not doing enough about climate change. I shut down all the drilling. You got it?
0: No more drilling. There is no more drilling. I haven't formed any new, new drilling. No, I. That was before I was president. We're trying to work on that. Get that done.
1: No more drilling. What the hell is he talking about? No more drilling. Is he talking about offshore specifically? Because I I kind of heard that from the question. It was a little faint from one of the hecklers there. But that that's the solution. No more drilling. So on the one hand. You're demanding that these big oil companies go produce more. On the other hand, two days later, you say no more drilling.
2: And did you hear how Joy Reid jumped into the conversation?
1: You mean the race lady over there at MSNBC? Oh, yeah.
2: what she said? This is her response to the conversation surrounding inflation.
4: The people I ever hear, hear use the word inflation are journalists um, and economists, right? So that is not part of the normal lexicon of the way people talk. So it's interesting that Republicans are doing something they don't normally do, right? Which is not use the, com- the common tongue, right? Not use just common English to sort of use do on their campaigns like they're doing with Prime. But what they've done is they've taught people the word inflation, right? Yeah. Most people who would have never used that word ever in their lives are using it now because they've been taught it. including on TV, including in newspapers, they've been taught this word and they, they sort of wrap this word around whatever it is that they really want to vote. Well, the, the, you know, the reasons they really want to vote.
1: What you talking about there, race lady? What, what is that? It's trying so hard to detract from what is widely viewed as the top issue. Widely. So, all right, so someone on the C-SPIRE text line uh, didn't identify, and that's fine. I would like to hear a plan from the Republicans to get the country back on track, because all I hear from them is hearings, impeachment, subpoena power, and Hunter Biden. So still no governing from anyone. Sorry, but we are in trouble if this narrative doesn't change, regardless of who's in power, but still no plan by the right. So I responded, asked, okay, what would you like to see done specifically? What do you consider to be back on track? And the uh, the listener texted back, lowering inflation, gas prices down, families able to buy grocery at afford- at affordable prices, baby formula. We just got to have a plan to revive this country. So okay, uh, once again, I I, I hear you, but specifically, what what do you want government do to lower inflation? What do you want government do to get gas prices down? What do you want want government to do? to enable families to buy groceries at an affordable price. So those are fair questions, and I I believe those are shared concerns by a lot of people. Uh, And I, I guess what I think, and I'll just share my thoughts on this, if the Republicans take over, which I believe they will, and they've got, still, you've got a Democrat in the White House, so passing legislation still has veto power, and it's hard to imagine that there would be sufficient votes in either chamber. It requires both to override vetoes, two-thirds. Doesn't set up good for that, unless Democrats get on board with Republicans. But So I think the key to bringing down not only gas prices, but inflation in general, it's not relying on the Fed and its tools To curb demand. But Democrats always think in terms of demand. You see, if if the economy is sluggish, we got to stimulate demand. If inflation is high, we got to curb demand. What you'll never hear out of the mouths of any Democrats is we gotta boost supply. Because that means you've got to enact policies that are supply side oriented. And they're not on board with that. We'll get into that on the other side of the break here in the Element Well Studios. Stay with us. We're coming right back.
0: Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's do this. On Super Talk Mississippi. Let's go.
1: in the element well studios thank you so much for joining us today it's hard to believe it really is midterms tomorrow I mean because we've talked about it so much and honestly since Joe Biden was elected and the Democrats obtained control of both chambers and had their way for the most part and got a little help from Republicans along the way as well it's here and so Republicans have a chance here's what I would caution against while we talk about what can the republicans could do temper your expectations first on what can be done and second just how long it takes how effective that will be whatever that is so again i still believe that the key to curbing inflation is to unleash The energy sector, which has been effectively muzzled since Joe Biden took office, because from the campaign trail to the first day on the job and virtually every day since, I'm shutting down the oil and gas industry. I mean, he's made that very clear. So, on the ceasefire text line, 662, drill, baby, drill, is uh, a statement And Mo says, it's simple, Gerard, go back to the policies that were in place before Biden took office. So here's what my concern is, just to be honest. First, I agree, we've got to unleash the fossil fuels industry because the high price of fuel is embedded into virtually everything we buy. Not just those products that include petroleum in their manufacture, which is a Incredible long list of things. I had no idea, honestly, Rhino, that I mean I, I was aware that there are a number of products that that would consume on a regular basis that use petroleum to to produce. I just had no idea the list was that extensive. Some of the things surprised me, like diapers, I think I just didn't know. Buttons, I think I saw that listed. So there's just a lot of products. Besides just the gas we put in our cars and our trucks. Okay. Well, here's the concern I have. The Democrats have already made it clear. We're getting out of the fossil fuels business. We're shutting down. All the automobile manufacturers have announced huge plans to transition to convert vehicles to electric. Just how aggressive can we expect the fossil fuels industry to be, the oil and gas industry to be? I mean, we've seen the president of Exxon say, we ain't building another refinery. There will never be another one built in this country, as an example. I think it's fair to say when Trump was president, he didn't attack the industry that way. In fact, he embraced it, he supported it. And I, I believe their faith, confidence, and certainty in the future was a lot different than it is now, but the cat, so to speak, is out of the back. And I think the fear, if I'm the CEO, my fear would be, well, can we be assured that Republicans or or political leaders elected to office in Washington who do support the fossil fuels industry are going to be in control on a long-term basis? Because the sorts of investments we're talking about that we need the fossil fuels industry to make to bring the price down, they're long-term in nature. They, they need to receive revenue from those investments over a long period of time to produce a return. So I've, I have some concerns about that, but I think that's absolutely key. And then, okay, should we ask the Republicans to start chipping away and, at the Inflation Reduction Act to reverse a lot of those policies, how popular would that be? Could they get that done? From an oil and gas perspective, I would say everything that Joe Biden has done to make it more difficult to decrease supply. Everything he's done from a from a law perspective, an executive order perspective, from a regulatory perspective, in the deep state of the agencies that that uh, are are under his purview, Uh, I, if I were in charge of the Republicans, I'd put legislation together that absolutely reverses every bit of that. Get it passed and send it to his desk and make him veto it and get every Democrat on the record as opposing such legislation that would, in fact, promote and encourage supply. I would send a clear message to the oil and gas industry. We don't want to shut you down. We embrace you. We want you to do what you do. Produce more. Make us energy independent. Produce more than we consume. What I would not do, that typically, as you know, Rhino gets done in Washington, I wouldn't create these $3,000... 3,000 page, pardon me, bills that have got all this junk in them, and everybody puts their little little pet projects in there, I would just have a one-page bill, if it's possible, certainly fewer than 20, that reverses all this nonsense from Biden. No junk in it, no extraneous pet projects, and just, just that, limited to that, isolated to that. Yes or no? And then with respect to the Inflation Reduction Act, are, are Republicans prepared to, let's say, reverse the, uh, the Obamacare subsidies, the, the enhanced subsidies? It's a big part of it. What about all the credits for electric vehicles and hot water heaters and solar panels and, and other green investments? What about the 15% minimum tax, the 87,000 IRS agents, the revenue side? I think I'd take those one at a time, category at a time, and put a bill in place. We're going to strike this, 80, this funding for the 87,000 IRS. Just put that as a single piece of legislation. Get an up-down vote. Get people on the record. Because 2024, if you look at the, the races coming up, it looks pretty good for the republicans as far as the seats the De- and the senate in particular as far as the seats the democrats have to defend and i would get that on the record and use that as ammunition in campaigning in the 24 cycle but none of these 2000 page bills with all this junk in it that at the end of the day nobody can read nobody can comprehend and then you find out after the fact, well, I didn't know that was in there. That's what we do. I would also put a bill on the on the floor to make the Trump tax cuts permanent. The individual provisions expire at the end of 25. I put a bill. And I would go to the, the American people and explain, if this expires, despite Joe Biden and all the Democrats lying about all those tax cuts only went to to the wealthy, which is not true, i get some really easy, I'd prepare some really easy to understand and comprehend visuals to explain that with comparisons before the Trump tax cut, after the Trump tax cut, to, to, an, to average scenarios of taxpayers, not the rich, But just show that. This is what your taxes are going to be if we don't make this permanent. I'd put that out there. And I'd make them say no. Make them vote it down. And then I'd say, well, they voted to raise your taxes, middle class. Because that's the truth. It's exactly what it would be. I would take advantage of that, Make Joe veto it. Because they want them to expire. They want them to expire. That's what they want to do. And then the other provisions of the, the Inflation Reduction Act, I'd take them on one at a time. Get them on the record. The, the Medicare stuff, I'd get that out there as well. I, I think that's the way to approach it, and I hope they do. Now, at a minimum, what just just if the Republicans take the House, at a minimum, it ends the Biden agenda. It's done. This is exactly what happened to Obama. When the House flipped in 2010, even though he got reelected in 2012 and served for eight years, two full terms, everything that happened from a, a legislative perspective that's notable happened in those first two years. The entire remaining agenda got flushed down the toilet. Because he didn't have the votes. So that's when you get some faith, confidence, and certainty, I believe, out of the private sector. And I expect we're going to see bond yields come down after tomorrow, and the market's going to trend upward as a result. I really do think that. And then there's the issue of spending. And we got to have serious conversation about that. And we'll talk a little bit about that when we come back, what the Republicans could do.
0: In in Bring it on. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. It is on, on Super Talk, Mississippi.
1: Back everyone, midday, super top Mississippi, busy week coming up here, Rhino. We got the election tomorrow. We'll be discussing that, and then I'm on the road Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Wow, Wednesday downtown Jackson for Innovate Mississippi's Accelerate Annual Accelerate Conference, and then Thursday I'm at two museums downtown Jackson, and then Friday Camp Shelby. Once again, at the Mississippi Armed Forces Museum, it's uh, what day exactly is Veterans Day? It's this week, right? I want to say it's Friday, yeah. I think Friday is right. So that's uh, what's going on. Looking forward to that. On the C-SPIRE text line, I like your plan. Most level-headed thing I've listened to in a while. I appreciate that. Everybody does not feel the same way. However, um, Rhino, as you know, One of our listeners who who asked what who said this is what we ought to do and what what Republicans need to tell us what their plan is and I simply said uh, again what exactly do you consider to be back on track? The listener said the Republicans need to give us a plan to get us back on track. I said what do you think that is? And he said inflation, et cetera, et cetera. he says we need to cross the aisle. This could be a sheet. I don't know. So I apologize for that. Uh, if I use the wrong pronoun there, this listener, how about that, generically? It could be watching as well. Of course, we're on C Spire TV, the Internet, the app, et cetera. Cross the aisle and work together for the people. But now help me, please, by expanding on this, if you had to ask that question, how do you in the same bre- breath blame government control now when the other side isn't working with the majority? Huh? This isn't an argument. It's grown people conversation on a serious issue. Republicans, Democrats, white, black, Hispanics, whoever. We all suffer. Pay same gas and food prices. A solution apart would be term limits. They've gotten complacent. Well, I'm glad you're not running, the listener goes on to say. That ideology just tanked us even more. (laughs) Good day, my friend. still about who's in the White House over country. So, you see, this issue of working together, which you hear, it's a, it's a popular refrain. Work together on what? Because there's no congruence. You've got Democrats who, frankly, I've watched numerous live broadcasts of Barack Obama, Joe Biden, out stumping They don't bring up inflation. They don't bring up what is the top issue to Americans at all. It's the threat to democracy! Mega, mega Republicans! You got Corinne Jean-Pierre there? Listen to her say it.
4: The president has long talked about our nation being at an inflection point. He has been clear, democracy is under assault, and we cannot pretend otherwise. What does that mean? The president will continue to call attention to the threat to to democratic integrity and to public safety posed by those who deny the documented truth about election results and those who seek to undermine public faith in our system of government. Unfortunately, we have seen mega-maga Republican officials who don't believe in the rule of law. They refuse to accept the results of free and fair elections, and they fan the flames of political violence through what they praise and what they refuse to condemn. It remains important for the president to state strongly and unequivocally that violence has no place in our democracy. He believes other leaders of both parties on both sides have a responsibility to communicate this very clearly as well.
1: What in the wide world of sports is she talking about? The violence. You mean like when some left loon attempted to stab Republican candidate for governor Lee Zeldin on the stage? You talking about that? And there was another similar incident, not stabbing, but an assault at one of his rallies this past weekend. Is that what she's talking about? Or what about that race lady that said, you know, it's okay if they go in and steal all this stuff. This is reparations. And these woke district attorneys who simply will not prosecute people for committing heinous crimes because of their race makes the statistics look bad. What is she talking about? That'll get you fired up, honestly. So, this mega, mega, where'd that come from? What is that all about? It's because they don't have anything else. They've got no other narrative, nothing else to hang their hat on, and, that, and that's a stretch, a fabrication that's not working. It's not working. And I think they know it. I think they know they're going to get their butt beat. Is what I believe. So, how short your memory is, lady? Democrats burn cities while denying election results for four years. Agree. Carolyn Starkville says, "Rule of law. We have a border wide open. You'll sell your Kool-Aid somewhere else." It's true. So much for the rule of law at the border. That's a threat to democracy, man. There's enough crap in that statement to fertilize all my green patches, says Tom in Carthage. Have you bought any fertilizer lately? Stacy Abrams, uh, says Georgia in Oxford, hasn't accepted her loss in 2018. Neither has Hillary Clinton in 2016. Still out there bellyaching about it. So Karen Ripley says, number one platform for the Republicans... We can't drill or open up pipelines without the American people's support. That means the polls. They let them know this is something that the Democratic Party is going against and the Republicans need everyone's vote to continue production and the products. So the the issue is that in this working together is that there's just precious little on which there's any agreement. And the bipartisan infrastructure bill that Mitch McConnell successfully persuaded 14 Republicans to support, I think he got rolled. And then 17 supported the CHIPS Act, which was the most egregious form of corporate welfare from the federal government ever. And once again, on the heels of that, we get this massive Inflation Reduction Act, which is a a ruse, of course, the most inappropriately named legislation ever. So, I think we have to temper our expectations. I'm just I'm making that pronouncement today. If inflation is your number one issue, and I, I think certainly from the polls, it appears that's the case, what would you consider to be success in abating it? To what level and by when, right? And in and in my view, unless... We can somehow promote oil and gas development and supply. I'm not sure we're going to get control of it. Now, I, I guess you could keep raising interest rates to the point where we all hunker down. We can't buy anything. I'm not sure that's the most pleasant way to address the situation. I would much rather focus on boosting supply, and Democrats won't do that because boosting supply typically means that somebody's going to make some money off of it. They can't deal with it. With respect to Trump, I would just point out that his, really his signature legislation was the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. He also increased spending significantly. On defense, he, he made that clear. He said, Barack Obama, you remember him on the campaign trail. He decimated our military. We've got to rebuild it. And he, he did give some specifics of aging assets. And vulnerabilities in defending the nation. So he increased spending on that. And then the question is if you want, if you're a person who believes we got to get control of the deficit and the debt, what do you want to reduce spending on? 70% of it, as we've discussed on the programs Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, other programs that are statutory and mandatory, and then debt interest. And then it's roughly 20 percent on defense, and the whole rest of government's 10 percent. So you could cut the entire discretionary budget and still have a deficit. That's how bad it is. And I just wonder how many that that fashion themselves as conservatives Would be okay with rescinding the 15% minimum tax. I mean, I am. It's. I think it does way more harm than benefit. But folks don't want to. They don't want to kind of think through that. They they'd rather just say, well, those corporations, they just need to pay. Pay for what though? So it goes out the door, the other door, in the form of government programs. Why? These print money anyhow. It's just punitive. That's the only reason they want it. Not so they can raise money and go spend it somewhere else. They've never worried about that before. That's why we have trillion-dollar deficits. Coming right back. Final segment. Stay with us.
0: Are we going to do this? Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Keep rolling. Three, two, one. 1. On Super Talk Mississippi.
1: Welcome back everyone. Holland Oats Private Eyes bumping us into this final segment on this Monday. Don't forget Super Talk Outdoors coming on next with Ricky Matthews. During National Family Caregivers Month, be sure to visit AARP.org slash M S or the AARP Mississippi Facebook page to find info and resources to help you on your caregiving journey. And don't forget Powerball. 1.9 billion dollars that is a record since the inception of the game I am uh, I can report that last week we get the members of the board of the lottery we get a um, every Sunday morning get a report from our president on weekly sales for the prior week the week uh, kicks off uh, on Sunday at 1201 a.m. and ends on Saturday 12 p.m. It was a record last week. It's $17.3 million. Average is about $8.5 a, a week, more than double last week. I suspect it will be pretty big this week oh, as yeah. well. One, the last I saw, one in $292 million are the odds. But for two bucks, it's worth it. I think. Just my opinion. I can't play. You know that. Oh, yeah. nor, nor can anyone in my household. Anyhow. But I can. You can. <laughs> I don't blame you. There's uh, an opportunity out there. It's hard not to, to at least donate the $2 to the Road and Bridges Fund if you got a chance to get $2 billion. <laughs> There you go. Have fun with that. So Thomas in Greenwood says gridlock is never a bad thing. I think the markets will like this. Thomas also said, what about those puts on Apple? I'm still long on Apple, Thomas. Still like it. There are reports over the weekend, folks, if you didn't see this, that Apple guided the market that they will have problems producing some of their higher-end phones because of the no-COVID strategy in China. However, it does appear they're starting to talk a little bit about that over there in China. Maybe this isn't the best approach, the best strategy. So they've guided. uh, Let's see, what's it sitting at now? Thomas about two forty five. Excuse me, one forty five, one thirty seven is Apple. I'm thinking it's two hundred within six months. That's just me. Dan and Hasberg says I think part of the problem with the listener who had an issue with my my, my suggestion for how the Republicans ought to govern should they have control is that they think it's the government's responsibility to change things. Government just needs to get out of the way and let the market work things out. I agree with you, Dan, in that it all really comes down to this fundamental question, which we've discussed many times on the program, what is the proper role of government? That's where we just lack alignment. We lack consensus. We lack congruence. And so... Now what we have is a situation where it, it, to some extent, happened during the Obama administration. If you go back and look at a lot of what Trump did, it was reversing Obama to the extent he could uh, from an administrative, executive level. And then think about when Joe Biden took office. We discussed it here on the program. Day one, signed 32 executive orders, most of which reversed what Trump did. I think the first observation is the president, the presidency has gotten to the point where they're overstepping, I believe, their authority. We're governing with executive order through the administrative state. The Supreme Court said as much when they ruled in favor of the state of West Virginia in their lawsuit against the EPA. said, no, EPA, it's not what the Congress authorized you to do. So, hopefully, that will figure in. But the point I'm making here, Dan, is now we got to go back and reverse all that stuff to start with, such as the Inflation Reduction Act and the 87,000 IRS agents provided for. Bo in Indianola says, Why can't you play? So, on the board, uh, Bo, and by law, board members, employees of the lottery, Vendors to the lottery are not allowed to, to play by law, or, nor anyone in their households. And, it, and there's anyone in their households that is defined in the law as like a blood relative, and I don't remember the list of all the relatives, but if, if it's some random person that's not related to you living in your household, they could play. Um, so that's just the law. to avoid any appearance of impropriety. That's right. Any sort of conflict that might occur. Gerard, I appreciate your take on this inflation issue. Would your perspective be to unseat Republicans who continue to vote for unnecessary spending? Well, just keep in mind that they only vote on the discretionary portion, and that's defense and all the rest of government. The 70% that constitutes mandatory spending does not even vote it on. That's what Rick Scott wants to change, and then Joe Biden and the Democrats say they want to end Social Security and Medicare. No, they want to talk about it to keep it afloat. We're out of time here today on this Monday, back in the Element Well Studios again tomorrow. Until then, stay safe and God bless everyone.